0: Two new releases from the Little River Band: Ultimate Hits Collection and Masterpieces. Here's original LRB man Graham Goble to reminisce about his biggest hits with the group. When was the last time you were in New Zealand? Have you
1: been a, long time, a long time ago? I, I don't, I can't remember exactly, but it would have been probably mid, early to mid '80s, I guess, when we played there with. Uh, John Farnham, uh, when John Farnham was in the band. Right. And I don't know that we went back after that, but I do remember a great concert there with Willie Nelson at one point too. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Willie's still going. Yeah, he's awesome, isn't he? Fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so there's this new Ultimate Hits collection that's uh, it's come out. Did you have much to do with it being put together?
1: I, I put the whole thing together. And, sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and masterpieces as well. Yeah, it's a journey that started um, for five years ago, um, and I had this idea to. Um, there, there were there've been a lot of compilations out, and the biggest problem we've had is we've got we've got this uh, band in America playing concerts with using our name. Right, uh, and the idea was to put out, take, try and take a lot of out. Try and take our legacy back by putting our faces on the cover. So we've remastered the whole catalogue, and we've put out the uh, ultimate hits, which is twenty-five songs of all the singles that were released. Right, and, and then the companion volume is masterpieces, which uh, are all the deep cuts in the in the album uh, albums, uh, and. New uh, six thousand word biography, bringing everything up to date. Seventy photos, all restored with using AI. It's a wonderful package. The masterpieces is my favourite LRB album ever. It's got cool. my favourite songs on it.
0: Uh huh. So for for you, put, uh, being involved in putting it together and going back, and listening to the tapes and whatever, what kind of experience was
1: that for you? Well, uh, one of pride, really, because. Like LRB in all of its um, incarnations, we were a phenomenal band. Like in terms of musicianship and singing ability, um, we were certainly up there with 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 the best, I guess. I mean, our vocals have been compared to the best, and I think we hold our own with anybody. But it was just um, the production values, it was all recorded. In like most of it was recorded in analog. The records sound so wonderful today. When you can can listen to the analog and then have it all remastered with today's technology, the records sound amazing. They really do. And so the reason why people would that may have the, the catalog would want to buy this is because it's cleaner, it's louder, it just sound. Have you had a bit of a listen? Yep, yep, yep. Would you th- agree? It sounds pretty good. Yep. Awesome?
0: And I used to, I, I was, and I'm. A, you can probably tell I'm American because of my yeah. accent. I was doing radio back in the '70s, playing these songs on the FM radio back in the awesome. days. So. Awesome. <laughs> they were, they were in heavy rotation.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the, and a lot of them still are. I mean, it, in America, we 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 are getting, well, it's all around the world, really. Our catalogue is increasing by about twenty percent a year on on the um, on the on the Spotify's and those sorts of uh, platforms. So it's an iconic band, and uh, I wanted to just to put our legacy in a place to say to the world: these are the people that put it together. Mm
0: -hmm. Everything
1: on these records is legit; it's from the right sources. Right. And 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 this is a forget about anyone else that's playing under the name Little River Band. This is the band that recorded everything. (laughs) Right, right, right.
0: So I was hoping maybe we could just touch on a couple of the tunes that you wrote. Yeah, that um, we're doing, we can kind of go back and you can just tell me wh- from your point of view where they came from and what they mean to you. Um, maybe starting with, well, let's start with reminiscing. <laughs>
1: Well, of course, reminiscing is is our iconic song. It's um, it, it changed my life. It was uh, written back in 1977, I think, late 77, April 77. We recorded it in, on Sleeper Catcher in '78. Right, um right. Yeah, it was something that I sat down and could hear this completed song really coming into me, um, almost like a like a, a download from some other place, right. and and I was half an hour i had that song finished lyric and melody all done and um it was like nothing that i had ever written i'm not a trained musician i didn't realize how um uh, intricate and special it was in terms of its melody its well just the phrasing the chord changes the key changes a lot of people have analyzed the song and said look this is really a work of of well some people have called it a work of greatness uh-huh. but but, but they just have because of it's, um, it's like no other song. It's, uh, you know, when you think about it, there are only 13 notes and <laughs> somehow what reminiscing represents is something that's not been put together that way before.
0: Right, right, right. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it was produced by John Boylan. Is that right?
1: Produced by John. Yes. Yeah, that, that, what, what, did he, what did he add to, this, to the mix? Well, well, well John, John added a big, a big, a part of it in that when I wrote uh, reminiscing, I had um, uh, the first verse and then the second verse and then the hurry don't be late part. Right. I wrote I wrote that as a middle eight, and so I had that in the song once and then the third verse and finished. So I had it like a two and a half three minute song, and John said that hurry don't be late part that's a chorus, and I said no no it's not it's a middle eight, and he said no no it's a chorus. So he encouraged or actually said, look, let's put that in again. When you do the third verse, then we come back to the instrumental section, and then we do the, we do, we finish with the hurry, don't be late part, so we get two choruses. And then that eventually led to the wonderful flugel um, horn solo by Bobby Venier to take it out. So in terms of elongating it and really putting the hook in there, which is the hurry, don't be late, I can hardly wait, that was John Boylan. I mean, and that was a, a great call, a great call. So we were uh, the production was was it was uh, John Boylan and Little River Band. We were all very much involved with producing our records, but that particular thing was a magical uh, thing that that John um, provided to, uh, to us, and for me as a writer too.
0: Right. Yeah, because it's interesting. When you get somebody's point of view and rethinks, sees how your song, which you've written, uh, should be presented.
1: Well, it's it's sometimes quite hard because you <laughs> initially can't see it. You, um, I mean, I thought I thought I knew a lot about songwriting, and and I think that <laughs> that, that that listening to producers and people around me, engineers as well, Ern Rose, we worked with for many many years, and. Um, I learnt so much from the people that I was fortunate to be around and even the guys in the band, you know, they might suggest a different chord. Like, sure. like, I, I didn't have the chord knowledge that other musicians had. It was a, a fantastic help. I mean, I could, that record would not exist without the incredible playing and everyone involved from the engineering, the production, but the the guys in the band and Glenn Sherrock's incredible vocal. I mean, really, it's one of the great... Great vocals of all time, and and my life has been changed, and the life of my family has been changed because of that song.
0: Right, right. Now another one to touch on, back a little earlier, is it's a long way there.
1: Yeah, uh, Yeah. seventy-five, I think, right. yes it was actually written in 72 and um, because um yeah that's a lot of people's favorite song uh, that one because it's once again is there another song like that around i don't know uh, there right. doesn't seem to be and um, so i wrote it I left Adelaide, well, I used to live in Adelaide, which is is about a 10-hour drive from Melbourne, where I I left in 1972, came to live in Melbourne and was incredibly homesick for my parents, for my food, home cooking, everything. And I used to drive home to Adelaide every three weeks, a 10-hour drive, and on that drive, I started to get the seeds of it's a long way there.
0: Right.
1: And so... When we were in a band, Derek and myself were in a band called Mississippi back in those days, and we used to play it a long way there, often in, in gigs, you know, and often we'd, it, we'd just jam on those chords for maybe 15, 17, 18 minutes, and while we were playing it on stage, I would think of different sections, and then I would sort of slowly add that, delete others, and so over a period of three years by playing it live, it changed a, a bit. And so by the time 1975 came around and uh, and Glenn Sharp joined the band and we became a Little River Band, uh, it, it, it had been edited down and it was sort of like like an eight-minute song. It was, it's a song that we virtually op- we opened with virtually every show because it's a great opening song because it gives you a stretch out, you can get yep. your guitar sounds on stage and you can really feel the audience. So... It was initially about my longing for home and my homesick, and my homesickness. Um, I, as my, as I grew older and I started to um, investigate spiritual studies. Uh, I, I felt it for me. It was not only about my life's journey in this life, but I felt it was about some uh, uh, maybe reincarnation or some uh, longer journey that I'm uh, taking in this. This is part of that longer journey. That was for me, but but it works on a lot of levels for people right. that don't necessarily believe in reincarnation or anything else. It's it's about a life's journey that you step out onto the road, and at the end of your life, you just look back. And it's a it is a bloody long way. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a long, a lot life is long and there's a lot of twists and turns. So I think so many people uh, enjoy that song because. They connect to it so personally, right. yes,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of that, the spiritual thing is kind of a big part of your writing and the way you approach music in general. Is that right? Yeah,
1: absolutely, it, it underpins my life It underpins everything. Uh, when when I was writing songs, um, I always try and put um, meanings or meanings to be found, if you like, veiled, veiled meanings that if people are, are of a certain Stage in life or a consciousness, they can pick up stuff that uh, that I might be feeling myself. So I'm not just writing on a surface level. I'm always writing on a deeper level for those who wish to go there. And um, because to me, the spirit is part of life. And the spiritual world is part of our earthly life, and so I can't separate the two. Yep, yep.
0: So of course, these were re- released back in the '70s, pre, uh, you know, internet and Facebook and all this stuff. And did you get much back and forth, uh, give and take uh, from the fans about these songs? And and did they? Must have been
1: frustrating. Only the odd interview. See, you've got to realize our life was—if we weren't in the studio recording, uh, like we were on the road uh, working all the time. And uh, like a typical day for us would be, like you do your show let's uh, say, uh, you go and say at 8.30 uh, there, you do a two-hour show, you come off, you do two hours meet and greet, bus leaves at 2am for the next town, you drive overnight, not much sleep, get in, have breakfast about 8 o'clock, grab four hours sleep maybe, yep. get up and do radio press in the afternoon, 4 o'clock sound check, back to the hotel and have dinner and then leave for the theatre or, uh, or the, the show at about 8 o'clock. That goes on for month in and month out. We would did right. 13 shows a fortnight. There's, there's like one day off a fortnight. You just sleep when you've got time off. <laughs> it is very, very physically demanding um, when you're a touring band yep. trying to break a place like America.
0: Uh, would you have uh, done it differently if you knew what, what it was like ahead of time? Or No,
1: no, no because <laughs> it, it was then. I mean, I would love to have had a, a mobile phone or something. Right. It was uh, a three-minute call to home uh, and family and children every three, four days. It was so expensive. Uh, there were no videos like we used to just make a call from the hotel every three days it was very difficult. Would have given anything to have seen some photos or, or had this type of thing. Wow, wouldn't that have been great?
0: Yep, yep, very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, w- another song, Lady, uh, yep. we talk up, uh, about, which I think was out in
1: 78. So So lady's got a few stories. Oh, First, good. <laughs> firstly, um, it, that Once again, that was written pre-Little River Band, a similar uh, um, vintage to It's a Long Way There. Uh, I was doing a gig at, a, at a, a pub in Melbourne, and there was this beautiful-looking girl on the dance floor. She was dancing with another girl in front of the band, and I was watching her during our, well, we used to do two or three sets in that. It was an afternoon gig at the Matthew Flinders Hotel, actually, in in Melbourne. And when we finished our set and we were packing up, I looked around for her, but she had gone and she'd left. So I'd never, ever got to meet her or talk to her. But when I went home, I kept that feeling, because I'm a guy that can fall in love in five minutes, Marty. I mean, that's very easy for me. So I kept all that and sat down and wrote Lady. So, um, and then we used to play it in, in... Mississippi days, and then when it came to recording the first Little River Van album, lady got passed over. It was put forward, but it never made the record. And then the second album, the same, After Hours, it never got on, it never got on, Diamond in a Cocktail. And one of the big reasons was because Sharp didn't like the song. Ah. He didn't like it. He felt it was too um, romantic, I guess, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he didn't like it. So when it came to Sleeper Catcher, there was one position left on the record, and we had John Boyland at that point. And yep. John John Boyland picked Lady to go on, and I was sort of going, "Yeah, this is great. finally, it's going to get a shot." Uh, and then when Glenn went out to sing the lead vocal, he said, "You know, I hate this song, don't you?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, you know, I know, Glenn, but you know, we're, we're a you know, John Boyland's picked the song, and so." Glenn, uh, to his credit, went out and did, did, did a beautiful vocal on it. Yep. And it. And it was the highest selling single, the even highest selling single we ever had. Like it was just, and it's today, it's just like, it's just getting played to death. It's amazing. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: People
1: love it for whatever reason.
0: Well, a good song is a good song is a good song, you know?
1: <laughs> well, well, once again, the structure of that song's different too because there's the opening verse but then there's a second verse that Beebe and i sing that's nothing like the first verse right well how many songs do that <laughs> i can't really think of any most yep. of you do you do one verse and then you do the second verse the same but you for different lyrics yep. well, that, well my second verse was had different lyrics but it also had a completely different melody too so yeah it's a special song it's um loved by many many people
0: So it sounds like the group dynamic was interesting, to say the least, when you guys were in the studio. You saw everybody's contributing, everybody has an opinion, everybody, you know, everybody's writing, everybody thinks that they're right, I'm sure. So what was that? What was it like being in the band?
1: It was difficult. It was it was very difficult. We had it was a my position. Well, I was sort of, you know, pretty much band leader in lots of ways. Right. Um, and I was the, in a position of I was writing the songs that were getting picked for singles, and, of course, Glenn was singing my songs, yeah. uh, not all, not always the way that I wanted, but for the most part really well and fantastically well. So I'm a person that will spend forever, like with reminiscing, we recorded it three times, as I said, and, and I don't let things go. If things aren't working, I will spend hours trying to find out what where do we need to go with this uh, Glenn didn't have patience for that so it got to the point uh, quite early on where uh, Glenn would would sort of not be coming in a lot until he was required for singing and so we were then with we sleepercatcher we were five and a half months in the studio working on those songs. Um, and I think it shows a right. wonderful record. Right. Um, but the rest of the guys in the band, they were like me in many ways in that they would endlessly uh, be happy to just go over and over and over stuff, uh, to, to just improve it and tweak it and find a better bass part, find a better guitar part, um, try it a different way. Let's do it faster. Let's do it slower. Let's try a different groove. Like Cool Change, Glenn, when we did Cool Change, I'll just digress for a moment. and sure, um, that's all right. <laughs> Glenn introduced that to us as a reggae song. Oh, really? He loved reggae. <laughs> so right. It wasn't, a, wasn't a, a natural thing for us. And we tried it. And, and eventually after it, it virtually not going to be recorded, um, the guys spent three days trying everything from a country song to a rock song to whatever, and they landed on this ballad that is the awesome track that Cool Change is today. But that was three days' work. Mm. Take it from a reggae song to what it is today without Glenn being there because uh, he, his talents don't lie in the endless patience needed to produce that. It's like a Steely Dan thing, you know, you just didn't right. ever trying to get every hi-hat right, yep. every, every, every bass part. Um, so Glenn's talents lie in, in uh, when he's on stage, the spontaneity and his vocal ability so that was the way it sort of worked and there were tense times there was you know there, there was never like the arguments that you hear about with other bands like we were right. never physical with each other but there were certainly very strong egos there right. and you know but we we got it done yeah <laughs> you
0: got it done indeed uh and the sound i mean at that point in time in the mid 70s when we thought about Australian rock, we you know, AC/DC would come to mind, maybe, and yeah. you know there were a few others uh, around, but they didn't sound like you guys. Did you feel an affinity with any movement group, a different sound? Was it more like a Crosby, Stills, and Nash thing, or what, no. what were you thinking about?
1: No. Well, I mean, I can uh, no. We we were the the col- the collection of the playing of the people doing the records is what the sound was. We we right. never. Um, tried to sound like anyone. I mean, we were aware of what everyone else was doing, but we just did what was in our hearts, what was in our soul and the way that we expressed. So if I would bring a song to the band or if Bib would bring a song to the band, I would say, well, this is a guitar part that I think I could play for that song. And that's just, and that was what everyone did. Derek would, would play whatever he thought the drums would be or George or Roger would play the bass part. And so it that's ended up, ended up being the way that we would work. But the thing that gave it the glue and the signature were the vocals, because when we sang together, mm-hmm. there's this iconic sound that everyone says, well, that's Little River Band. No one sounds like that. And right. no one can sound like that. Yep. So um, that's, that was our our trademark, was our, our vocal sound.
0: Yeah, and of course, you haven't been a part of the band in a long time, do you miss making that sound with those guys?
1: Well, as I'm getting older, yes, I, I, <laughs> I, I do. Because um, I, I made um, a number of solo records, yeah. um, which I loved. But, uh, but I stacked all the harmony parts myself. It's not the same experience as sitting around three microphones with three guys. That's a whole other thing. Um, I will always remember, particularly even our vocal warm-ups before we went on, you know, one acoustic guitar, three voices, just belting it out in a bathroom somewhere backstage. Like it's like dying and going to heaven. It's unbelievable when you can sing. Like I understand people love singing in choirs. Well, we had that in steroids, you know, that we would be able to get there. And when the three of us would just belt out a chorus or a vocal warm-up, like it was just exhilarating, to be honest.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Excellent. Well... Thank you very much for reminiscing with me uh, about those and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the process of putting this uh, collection together
1: cuz uh there's a whole lot of other people there
0: probably going to hear something new and
1: uh well there are new things on there there are re- there are new mixes that have never come out before I, right. would, en- I would encourage people to listen to love letters and right. live-, live recording have you listened to that yet
0: yep yep yep
1: uh, and like our singing on that it really Um, is at at the highest level we got to Um, and there's great new mixes on on some of the rock tracks and but just the whole sound of it and when you hear them all one after the other well I mean Biebs Light of Day which is you know pretty much my maybe my favorite LRB song ever it's an amazing record and it sounds even better on on these new uh, releases
0: excellent thank you very much
1: Thank you. I enjoyed talking (laughs) to
0: you. Thank you. Good good luck with it all. Thank you. (laughs)